I don't know about you, but I, as we enter this week, I, I can't emphasize much to you of, of how much this is a, that God turns things around, that he turns around the, the whole idea of, of the Christian life is that whatever happens, things can turn around. That's the whole message of the cross. That actually as we go into this week, and as I'm going to speak to you today from Matthew 21, and you might, it'll be on the screen, but you might want to turn there in your Bible, that, that actually a lot of people interpret this as, you know, this is a bit of a shallow praise. But I want to prove to you from the scripture that it wasn't everybody who was shallowly praising, and that the same crowd that shouted Hosanna was the crowd that shouted crucify him. That's true in part. It's a popular kind of interpretation, but there were some people who actually were really praising God. You know, it's really strange, isn't it, how things end up. I, I love those programs, don't you, where it's like grand designs or renovating houses, and you think, how are they going to make anything of that? And then, you know, you know, homes under the hammer. Now, Hones Under the Hammer is on in the daytime. And so I just want you to know, I don't watch daytime television, but I do record it sometimes. But it's amazing how they can turn things around, don't you think? I mean, have you ever had a, a, a situation where you think, how did that happen? I want to remember uh, uh, kind of leaning on a glass and the whole thing shattered one time and stepping back and going, how did that happen? You know, I mean, how about you? Does that happen to you sometimes? That, but God's the sort of God that says, you know, that may have happened, but I can redeem, change, buy this back, make this happen again. There's a, one time, I, I want to tell you a story, and this is for the Lawyers Forum, actually, for those of you that, in Charlotte, North Carolina, there, there's, a, there's an insurance company that had a, a young uh, loss adjuster and a claims adjuster, and he well, you know, the company were losing so much money, but there was a, another lawyer that had bought a, a very expensive and rare box of cigars. And uh, we're not advocating this, by the way, in any way. And he insured them, amongst other things, he insured his cigars against fire. And uh, actually, he, he smoked them <laughs> over the next month, and then he put a claim in to the insurance company that, that they had uh, been lost in a series of small fires. <laughs> the insurance company refused to pay, citing the, you know, the obvious reason. You've, you've smoked them, but the, ha the man took them to court, and even though the judge thought it was a frivolous thing, the judge actually agreed with the man that actually, well, you did insure them against fire, and uh, you didn't state which type of fire, and so therefore, you know, it wasn't an acceptable kind of definition. So he won his appeal and he was paid $15,000 in compensation for smoking his own cigars. <laughs> they were lost in fires, but here's the best part. This young loss adjuster thought, let him cash that check. So after the lawyer cashed the check, the insurance company have him arrested for 24 counts of arson with his own insurance claim as testimony against him and convicted him of intentionally burning insured property. 
and they fined him $24,000, and he spent 24 months in jail. True story, North Carolina. Isn't it strange what can happen? And there's a whole Easter message. We kind of think, well, this is one thing, but God has a way of turning things around. Anybody with me? You know, it's strange how you get married, isn't it? I mean, you know, we, we had the marriage seminar yesterday, and I have to say you, say to you, there were some really strange ways that some people got together. There were some people, you know, they got together in a, in a chat room. Oh, it's all gone quiet in here. <laughs> but they're happily married. In fact, I'm not going to look at them right now. There were some people got together because they thought they were talking to their sister, the one they really wanted to go out with was somebody else's name, and such was really confused, ended up, they ended up together, it was a really strange story. Somebody was ironing somebody's handkerchief, and they got say, uh, saved, uh, married. Really strange. Somebody had a teacher escort them to a classroom, and they met the, the girl in the class. It was a really strange story. Isn't it strange how you get married? Kathy yeah. just said yes. You know, I looked at Kathy across the church. She's playing the piano. I looked at Kathy and thought, oh, she's nice. 44 years later, we're still together. It's strange, isn't it? But here's the story of Easter. Things, no matter how difficult and dark that they look, can turn around. If you're wondering what Christianity is about, or as a seasoned believer... We need to understand and revisit that. You know, there are a couple of reactions to this type of thinking. Some people are really nervous because they think that, you know, I, I really want to believe, but things might go wrong, and I may make some declarations, and, but what if it all goes wrong? And, and then there are other people who kind of enjoy the adventure of faith, and I'm a bit of a mix, to be honest. Sometimes I feel a little bit bold, and other times I'm really quite cautious. I wonder where you are. We're probably mixed people. But the story of Jesus riding into Jerusalem is, is often interpreted in a couple of ways. That Jesus is praised here, and the same crowd that praises him cruelly shouts, crucify him. I want to take a little bit of a different take on that today because I believe that this is the moment that Jesus kicks into gear his whole program of growing, going to the cross. Do you want to read it with me? In fact, would you be the crowd? When we get to the part in Matthew 21, verse 9, it'll be on the screen, but if you've got a Bible in front of you, would you be the crowd and, and you do the, the, the Hosanna bit? Would, would that be okay with you? Great. I've got an electronic Bible that's just frozen, so there's the big argument for the book again, isn't it? Okay, Matthew chapter 21. And has anybody got a Bible? <laughs> oh, I hope this works. There we go. Let me go. Matthew chapter 21. Thank you, Scott. Um, okay. Now... When the, when, the de, when the time drew near to, excuse me, when they drew near to Jerusalem, they came to Bethpage uh, at the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go into the village uh, opposite you, and uh, immediately you will find a donkey and a uh, 
uh, a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them here to me. And if anyone says to you, uh, what are you doing with that? You will say, the Lord has need of them and immediately he will send them. All of this was done that we might fulfill that which was spoken by the prophet. Tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you. KT, your king is coming to you. Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt and a foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. And they brought the donkey out and the colt and their, and, their, and their clothes on them. And they set him on them. And there was a very great multitude and spread their cloaks on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who were, went before them and followed and cried out saying... Should we do that one more time? They cried out, Hosanna, son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Oh, that felt so good. I think you should do it one more time. Hosanna, son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Didn't that feel good? And when he had come from Jerusalem, all the city was moved. Who is this, they said. And the multitude said, this is Jesus of Nazareth of Galilee, a prophet, Jesus of Nazareth. Thank you, Pastor Scott. What an amazing story. It's from here that Jesus kicks on and teaches lots of things in the temple courts. In fact, the next story is about children praising in the temple. It's a push into God's plan. It's here that he curses the fig tree and talks about how Israel's time is coming. It's Jesus creating a moment, a breakthrough moment, a a momentum moment of We're pushing now into the program that God has had. I'm going to stop saying that the Son of Man will suffer and actually I'm going to start it. Now we know he's got the Gethsemane experience and we'll teach on that on Wednesday. But it's from this moment that Jesus comes out of the shadows and things start happening. This story is in all four of the Gospels. The Gospel writer wants wants you to know their take on it. It's one of those turning point moments that Jesus actually orchestrates it. He's the one that says, go and get this donkey. The disciples didn't really know what was going on, but one of the lessons for us today is, and one of our greatest lessons is, is that we have to understand that when God's plans are on the move and his specific move in our lives Almost always, in fact, I want to say always, 
is linked to a small act of obedience. That actually, your small act of obedience moves into something bigger more often than not. Look with me. Look at the first sentence in this, in this story. When you compare the first sentence, it says, uh, look at verse 2. It says, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with a, coal, uh, with a colt, and untie them and bring them with me. That's that first sentence. Then go to the very last sentence of, of that story. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred, saying, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. So in the first sentence, you see a little detail. Go and untie a donkey. In the last sentence, you see the whole city's moved. It's really interesting to me that it starts with a small instruction and ends with a dangerous declaration. Jesus is creating this momentum moment. Lazarus is in this crowd. Lazarus is walking along. And I know that Lazarus didn't say crucify him, crucify him. This is a breakthrough moment where we're moving on into the program of God. In fact, so much so that in John's account of this, the Pharisees say, look, the whole world's going after him. It's moving on. Little things matter. They could have said to themselves that they, the two disciples, oh, are we just doing a little job? I mean, we're going and everybody else is having a Bible study and we have to go and untie a donkey. They weren't just untying a donkey. They were fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. Zechariah 9 verse 9. Rejoice greatly, my daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king is coming to you. And KT, I want to say again, your king is coming to you. He's with you now, but he's coming in a special way. See, your king comes. You're righteous and victorious. He's lowly riding on a donkey. In the Old Testament, a king that was coming in peace would ride on a donkey. A king that was going to, uh, riding on a horse was going to war. Your king is coming to you today. But this little act of obedience of untying a donkey meant something in God's plan. You know, David, King David, when he was the boy David, he took cheese to his brothers and ended up fighting a giant a little act of obedience. Saul, the king in the Old Testament, he he went out to look for his father's donkeys and came back the king. You see, it's really important that you understand that little things grow in the kingdom of God. Peter lent Jesus his boat and then came back with an incredible catch of fish and became a fishers of men. What would it have been like if Jesus said, Peter, can I borrow your boat? And he'd said no. See, little things matter. Something called in the weather system, the butterfly effect. Something happening over the other side of the world can affect this side of the world. People who don't think that little things uh, don't matter, they have never spent a night with a mosquito in their bed. (laughs) Your spiritual journey right now has been a series of little yeses and little noes. There's been a series of you saying, yeah, Lord, I'll do that. 
It's been a quiet moment. It's been a, a moment that's very personal to you. Your journey to where you are now has, has left you in this place. And how many yeses you've said has got you to here? How many noes you have said has held you back from where you need to be? And today, what I'd like to do is just do four quick principles of how to turn your little noes into a big move of God. Excuse me, your little yeses into a move of God in your life. That you turn this little obedience into a larger move that God has for you. Let's learn from what they did. Number one, they spread their cloaks. Number two, they spread their branches. Number three, they spread their hands in praise. And number four, they spread the word. And we'll go through those four things really quickly. Number one, they spread their cloaks. And what they were doing was, is recognizing his kingship. Let me, let me share something with you. It's a very unusual Greek word of what they did when they spread their cloaks out. It, it's, a, it's called strunami, which is the Greek word. And what it means is, is that they were, it, it was an unusual word. They could have used so many other words. But it's an unusual word for spreading a cloak out as if you were making a bed for an important king. They had a particular word that said, oh, this is Strunami here. We've got to make this right because the king needs to be on this. You see, they could have used a, a word called epibalo, which means that you make a floor, or distrumami, which means flooring, or uh, apatuso, which means unroll a cloak. They could have said anything, but actually, the writers used this particular word because they were saying, we're putting out the red carpet for the king. We're, we're making this because this is what he needs to walk on, and it, it actually means, literally, we're making it like as, as neat as you would make a bed. Any nurses in the house? Are you neat as you would make a bed for a king? It's really important that we see this. In fact, in the Roman world, they, when, they, when they were trying to placate the gods, they would actually do this and say, let's strew an army, and they put sheets out in the... In the, in the street so that the gods wouldn't be angry or if a king was coming, they would put that out so that, so that it made the king say, hey, we are, we are receiving you here and this is exactly what they were doing. This wasn't just a, a kind of inspirational, hey, you threw your coat down, I'll throw mine down. You know, it wasn't like that. It was a, a thing that they all knew what they were doing. If we're going to turn our general and little obedience into something that Jesus can use, we have to arrange our lives around his kingship. That actually we have to recognize that we're operating out of his agenda and we want to go further in his kingdom. We have to recognize his kingship in our lives. This is more than... Uh, just saying, oh, I go to church, that we are saying, I have become part of something bigger. Not, not just caught up with our lives and details. And God cares about the details of your life. He cares about the irritations and frustrations. Of course he does. But he wants you to put his kingship desires into the details of your life. 
Psalm 44 verse 4 says, you are my king, my God, and you decree victories over Jacob, over me. He decrees things over your life. He pronounces things over your life. We have to understand that we are referencing to him. That actually he's the king. And we've become part of something that is huge. And that is important. And that he's the king and we are uh, the people who arrange our lives around him. In Luke chapter 22 verse 29, Jesus said this, I confer on you a kingdom. Just as my father conferred it to me, I am placing it on you. I want to say to you, God's put something on your life. Your life, God has said, he hasn't, he hasn't just done a casual in, invitation to you, but actually you've been commissioned to work in the kingdom. That actually your life is a part of his grand scheme. And I know you've got plans. And I know you've got uh, things that you feel you're following in him. But listen, we turn our little yes into a big move when we put the king and the kingdom at the center of our focus. You need to spread out your cloak. You need to spread out your life, your talents, everything about you. And you need to say, king... You're welcome here. And it's not just about, oh, I'm being faithful and I'm doing my bit. You're actually serving a king. And we welcome you, King Jesus. You know Jesus is king of this church. We welcome you as the king of our church. Nobody else is the You're the king of this church. You're the king of my life. And when you begin to do that and say, well, actually, King Jesus, you set the agenda, not me, then your little obedience begins to gather momentum and God begins to move. Number two, we need to spread out our branches to him. And what this means is you celebrate the victory done and yet to come. In that time, palm trees were... spread out were people saying, you're a victorious conquering king. What we do is when, when, we, when an army comes back and we have a street party and we'll do it, I guess in the Queen's Jubilee, we put bunting up, don't we? And we wave flags. We do lots of flag waving, don't we? Somebody say yes, you know. Well, actually, this was their version of putting bunting up and saying, we won, we got our flag. And they put their, they wave palm branches to say and to declare, you are victorious. And, and we, we indeed see this symbol in, in when we get, look at our future in heaven. In Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, it says this. Afterwards I looked, and behold, there was a great uh, multitude that no one could number. Uh, by the way, I'm reading this. Is anybody excited about what I'm about to say? Do you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm not just quite excited about heaven. I'm absolutely ecstatic the fact that I'm going to heaven to be with God. And that actually this isn't all that there is. 
and they're living for catching the bus in the morning, there's gonna be a day when this is me. I'll be in this crowd from every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne of God, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to the Lord, and God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. In other words, I'm waving my palm branch to you, saying, we won! We are there. And that's what these people were doing. They were saying, victorious king, you're welcome here. It happened in the Old Testament in the Feast of Tabernacles. They waved palm branches to celebrate they had come out of Egypt. If you're going to understand how to move up in your walk with God from those little yeses and quiet moments and recycle them upwards, you have to begin to understand the victory that we have and will have. It's a certain outcome with a sacrificial journey. If you're taking notes, write that down. The victory that we have is a certain outcome, a certain end with a sacrificial journey. You see, some people preach victory if we're supposed to shout. The louder we shout all the time, the, the more victory that we have, as if we're supposed to be shouting all the time. We live in victory, actually, because we know the outcome. And then things might be difficult for you right now. Our salvation is that we are being changed and that we will have breakthrough moments. You know, that, but actually, during this time, we are learning on the way. That actually, God is bringing victory even though that your life may be difficult now. Why don't you turn to Romans chapter eight with me and, and come on, let's read what the actual reality of our lives is. Romans chapter eight, verse 35. Just follow along with me, it might be on the screen. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? By the way, why don't you shout out the answer when I read these questions? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? <laughs> shall trouble or hardship or persecution, no. or famine, no. or nakedness, no. or danger, no. or the sword? No. no, for it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are hupernikeo. We are more than conquerors. We've got more than victory. We've got not only got Nike shoes on, we've got Nike plus Adidas and everybody. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither present, nor future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have the victory, we are gaining the victory, and we will get the victory in the end. Victory is a mindset that I have the strength to go through and know that God is gonna work it out. He's gonna work it all out. Come with me, look, imagine this scene. Jesus is on this donkey. He's got the cloak spread before him, and then they start putting palm branches in front of him. Look at the week that he was facing. 
He's got symbols of victory and he knows that he's going to endure the greatest humiliation in the history of mankind within a week. And yet, it's the greatest triumph. That's the Easter story. That God takes your difficult situation, redeems it, changes it, buys it back. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, author and finisher of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Victory doesn't mean that we shout all the time. Victory means is we know what the end is going to be and we have breakthroughs during the journey. That's what it means. In fact, it says in Colossians chapter 2, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them over the cross. Everybody else looked at him and said, save yourself, come down. And Jesus stayed there. Everybody thought it was a humiliation and actually it was a triumph. That's what God is doing in your life. Your victory is the same. A certain outcome and a learning journey on the way to that outcome. And you endure by God's strength. Your victory's real. Hey, KT, your victory is real. Your victory's real, and even though the journey is difficult, you're going to have breakout moments. Somebody say amen. Come on. Your victory is real. Embrace his kingship. Walk in his victory. The certain outcome with a sacrificial journey. Then they spread their hands and raised their voices in praise. Number three, they changed their natural response to a spiritual posture and perspective. Now here's what I want to kind of point out to you. In Luke's version of this uh, episode, in Luke chapter 19, verse 37, it says this. When When he came near to the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. There was a part of this crowd and a core of this crowd that were already his disciples. And they, having seen him and embracing him, began to praise him. You see, Hosanna was a term of real adoration. It wasn't just a declaration of something. It was was almost saying, oh, you saved me, I love you. It got a real adoration in it. It's a perspective of praise because we trust him. If, if we are to convert our journey of our little yeses to big moves of God, it's our praise, even from the place of vulnerability, that will move us upward in our journey. You know, the night before that Jesus died, it says that they sang a hymn, let me Read to you that hymn. Go with me to Psalm 118. This is what Jesus sang the night before he died on the cross. Psalm 118 verse 15 says this. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. He's going to the cross next day. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. He's going to the cross the next day. 
and he's singing this. I will not die, but I will live. I will proclaim what the Lord has done. He's going to the cross next day, and he's singing this. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. He's going to the cross next day, church, and singing this. That opened for me the gates of the righteous, for I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks, for you have answered me and become my salvation. Jesus praised the night before the cross. You can praise when you're in your dark night. Praise will change your perspective. And that's like I was saying earlier in our service. When somebody is so beautiful, stop looking at the actions that might not have happened. Start looking at the character of God of what he's like. Because when you look at his character, then you can trust him and praise him. It changes your mindset when you know his character, that he loves you because he loves you because he loves you. You can praise him even in the dark night. In fact, Psalm 22 says, and you might have it in your translation, that the, God is, inhabits the praises of his people. Or God, you might have it translated, God's enthroned on the praises of his people. That's because the word uh, Yashub in Hebrew is translated uh, a place where God sits. It's like he sits on a throne. Your praise is a throne room for God to sit on. And actually there where it says the praises is the word tehillah, which means the song praise of God. And so when we worship and we sing, God inhabits and sits there. And it changes our perspective. It recalibrates our minds and our hearts to know that God will come through for us. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. We've got one last point, but I'm just going to say it really quickly. Why don't you stand with me? So they spread their cloaks. The disciples started the story by saying, why do we have to do the donkey fetching? Why can't we stay in the Bible study? But they did it. And the whole city hears. The whole city spread their cloaks and said, kingship. You're welcome here. I wonder if you're arranging your life around all your agenda or whether you truly, honestly, just before the Lord say, God, you're my king. I would lay anything down for you. My opinion, my, my rights, every, king, I lay it down for you. And I wonder today whether even though you might be going through a difficult time that you understand that you have the victory. That God has put something on your life for the kingdom of God and, he's, and with that there is a victory that actually it's not that we win it's that he's won and we're just going to follow in with that. And I wonder today whether because you know his character and if you're kind of checking out God, God's character is that he's truthful always, he's just always, he's loving always, he will always treat you righteously. If you can look at his character and say, 
my situation right now is difficult, but yet I will praise you. That will recalibrate your mind and give you strength more than you know. And it will change your small yes to a huge move of God in your life. It's not because you're doing it from a shallow place, uh, hoping that things change. It's actually you do from a deep place of seeing what he's like. They spread their cloaks. They spread their branches. They spread their praise. But then they spread the word. And this is what I'm going to say to you today. The spreading of the word that Jesus was in town, if it was in town. If you want to increase your depth of faith, you have to take some opportunities to share with those around us. Would you turn to somebody and just tell them God loves you? But, hey, say it from your heart. God loves you. Hey, how hard was that? Hey, it's pretty easy to do it in here, isn't it? I want to say to you, there's somebody at your workplace this week where you need to turn to them and say, you know, God loves you. And it'll be the same. Might be a little bit harder, maybe, but in a kind, non-aggressive way, in a loving way, if you would take the risk to begin to say, I want to share the word. You'll turn your quiet and little obedience into something much bigger. You see, this is a combination of faith, risk, and love. That actually, if you'll just take that risk to share, your faith will grow. It was really easy, wasn't it, to do it here? I, I just know that God's going to make it at least give you an opportunity and you'll gulp maybe and it may be a risk, but your faith and your love will grow. Come on, turn that little obedience into something out there. Simple acts add to your faith. Kingship, his victory, praise. Come on, lift your hand with me and maybe praise just a little bit and sharing. Now this is it. This will grow your faith so that you're not just a crowd follower who a week later will shout, crucify him, but you'll become a core follower who will say, that's not what I want. So if you want to change from being a crowd follower to a core follower, welcome his king right now. Come on, welcome the king. We welcome you, King Jesus. We welcome you, King Jesus. If you want to change to be a core follower, thank you for your victory. We celebrate your victory. Come on. Is there somebody in this house that can praise the Lord? Come on, we praise you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. And if you want to move from that crowd to the core, go and share it. Just go and share it. 
Ask God this week for a little opportunity, a small opportunity, a kind opportunity, not an aggressive opportunity or an opportunity where you're acting weird, but an opportunity where you just turn to somebody and say, you know God loves you, I'll pray for you. You'll never know what can happen when you do that. God bless you. Come on, let's celebrate the King.